right. Good morning, church. Uh, If we have not met, my name is Pastor Drew, and it's good to see some of your smiling faces here this morning. Um, And I'm excited uh, to continue as we uh, walk through the Easter season. Uh, You'll notice um, if you were here at the very beginning uh, when Linda led us in the opening with the acclamation that we are continuing uh, to, to acclaim that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed because we are still in the Easter season. Praise the Lord. Amen. So as we go through this season, the, 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 the beauty of the lectionary, where we get the Bible passages that we read on Sunday mornings, is that they coincide with that season. So you'll notice it throughout this season. Uh, but as we look at Revelation 7, Today, uh, I'm just, again, blown away um, by where we are heading uh, as Christians, the promises that we have, and excited to lean into that this morning. Amen? So I'm going to read this, and it will magically appear on the screen behind me. Um, and Or you can open up your Bible. This one's easy to find. Just go to the very back uh, and start from there. But Revelation 7, this is um, verses 9 through 17. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. And they were saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, Who are they, and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence." Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And He leads them where? He leads them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are are so grateful that we, as sons and daughters of you, as brothers and sisters to each other, get to come and sing about your holiness and the truth of who you are and how it impacts us this morning. Father, we are so grateful for an opportunity for us to again be reminded by the truths of Scripture, and I pray that as I preach that the words of your Bible would resonate through the work of the Holy Spirit into the hearts of your people. And Father, we pray for those in our community today. We thank you and bless the mothers who are here, as well as the mothers who are represented in this room, as well as those who may not be biological mothers, but are mothers to so many. 
And Father, we pray for those in our community who are hurting, whether that's with housing or uh, lacking a job or relational or health pain that they are going through. We pray that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Father, bless us as we continue to walk forward as a church community. Bless us that we would continue to grow in health, continue to grow in impact in the world around us, not for our own glory, but for yours, not for our honor, but for yours. And give us wisdom as we seek to do so. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 So as a pastor, I've been ordained, I guess now, since 2012, uh, so about 10 years now. Um, and I can say that one of the, um, uh, I wouldn't say job casualties, that's, that's too intense, too dramatic, but one of the uh, aspects of being a pastor is that people ask you random questions. Like once they know you're a pastor, it's like, okay, I've had this vault of questions, now I'm ready to unload them onto you. And I will say, sometimes, you know, that seminary education comes in handy, and I know, I'm like, okay, I've got this one, I feel great about this. Others, I'm like, I actually don't have the Bible memorized yet, so I'm going to need to look up that one. But one of my favorites is when people are talking about eternity or talking about heaven, they come up with like a, a question in their mind thinking, which is very normal, they're like, is this going to be in heaven? They spin towards me and they're like, is that, is that going to be there? And I look and I'm like, bro, I, I don't know. I, if you're, I don't know if favorite popsicle is going to make it to heaven. I don't know the relationship you have with that, you know, dog. I don't know. I don't know if that's, you know, I know all dogs go to heaven. I love that movie. I'm not sure that that is how it's going to work or not. Uh, so I will say there is a lot. We're going to talk about eternity today, and there's a lot that we don't know. There's a lot, and that's okay, I promise you as a pastor, for me to tell you. Sometimes I don't know is the best answer I can give you, but there's a lot about eternity that we simply don't know. And I find, honestly, great assurance in that, great hope in that, because if I am looking ahead towards spending eternity with God, He promises it to be good, I hope it's better than I could even imagine. But there is aspects that we do know, things that we do know about our time eternally with God. Isaiah 65 says, Never again, speaking as a prophet, never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. They'll build houses and dwell in them. They'll plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them. Or plants and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will enjoy the work of their hands. Revelation 21, 3-4 says, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. No more mourning or crying or pain. Revelation 22, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve them. There will be no more night. They will need not the light of lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. So I don't know if your favorite ice cream will be in heaven, 
But I do know that there will be no more mourning. How does that sound? There will be no more death. I think of you all who have lost loved ones, even in the last year. They will build houses and dwell in them. Plant vineyards and eat their fruit. There will be beautiful smells, but I can promise you there's no more pollen. Hallelujah. Birthdays, but no funerals. Hugs, but no hatred. Beauty upon beauty upon beauty. And we know that as the scripture tells us, it will be a great feast. The best food you can ever imagine and probably even better than that. It's the fruit cups, but minus the cantaloupe and those filler honeydew fruits. Cursed them. Uh, Sorry if that's your go-to fruit. It's not going to be there. I can't promise you that. But we also see from Revelation 7, how is heaven described? Our eternity. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude no one could count. And brothers and sisters, where were they from? They were from every nation. Every tribe, every people, every language. Standing before the throne of God. What an awesome scene that should encourage us and help us see the glory and beauty of eternity. In this passage, we see the God affirmation of what? Of every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. What we see here is that this means that we are, as Christians, we are a color-blessed group of people, not a color-blind group of people. We see in this passage alone that God affirms the different tribes. He affirms the different languages. He affirms the different cultures and doesn't ask them all to blend together, but affirms here that the diversity of the church is a beautiful thing. Hallelujah. We need to understand in this conversation about diversity, we need to understand that first and foremost, we are a people who have a Bible-informed view of diversity. Just like we have a Bible-informed, you know, all dogs go to heaven, super cute movie, should not inform your theology on heaven. That should be informed by the Scripture in the same way when we think about the diversity that we are called to live into. We are a Bible-informed people who submit to the authority of Scripture. And it doesn't mean that we cannot get help from the outside, but it all goes through the filter of the Scriptures. So are we as people a Bible-informed group of people when we are thinking about our theology of eternity, our theology of the church, or are we a CNN-informed group of people that are fitting it in to what the quote-unquote experts say about the scripture we're fitting that in to the Bible. Or flip it to the other side, whatever the other side is for you. Or are we willing to look at the scripture and say, I want to know what I think about diversity. I want to know what the Bible says so that I can be informed by it. And the Bible says we are color blessed. A few years ago, this is pre-pandemic. I feel like we, that's for the rest of my life I'm going to have it. Well, that was before the pandemic. This is after the pandemic. Pre-pandemic, I was over at uh, the Kroger on Howell Mill. I was by myself, uh, going in, running into Kroger for something over on Howell Mill. 
And I was in the middle of one of the aisles, and I move at a snail's pace through the grocery store. My wife and I, like, for the sake of our marriage, we do not never grocery shop together because she, like, zips through the place, fills up the cart, and I'm like, where is the bean? Where are the beans? I cannot find them. I'm asking. I, I, I told somebody one time, I would love to just, if there was an option just to pay somebody from the grocery store $15 to walk with me and tell me where everything is, I would love to pay somebody to do that. But I'm walking through that. I'm in one of the aisles, and I see a dad in front of me, and he has like a three-year-old or so, three or four-year-old in the cart. Uh, they're right in front of me. And then coming from the other direction was a tall black gentleman kind of walking towards us. Well, this little boy spun his head around, and looking down the aisle, saw the man, and without a hint of animosity or negativity, he blares out as loud as he can. He says, Daddy, that man has dark black skin. I mean, you could have heard the boy from like four aisles over. He was so loud. And in my aisle, it got super quiet. He screamed out, Daddy, that man has dark black skin. And I just kind of grabbed, you know, the beans or whatever and just acted like I was looking at just to see how this is all going to play out. And but that man, that dad, he looked his, he kind of slowed down, saw the moment for what it was looked at his son with a big smile on his face. He said, son, you have beautiful tan skin, and that man has beautiful dark brown skin. God made you both, and God made both of your skin so beautiful. The son, bless his heart, just casually gave you know, a thumbs up, and he was back to whatever he was doing. But the gentleman that was walking towards him, I saw him look at that, that dad, and he said quietly, thank you. That was really well said. We are color blessed, not color blind. Every three-year-old on the planet knows that in a lot, three-year-old and the rest of us knows that in a lot of ways, culturally, racially, people are different from each other. And we don't have to pretend that we don't see these differences. And this Revelation 7 is the answer to the old adage which came from a generation past but still kind of seeps its way into our culture today. The old adage of I don't see color or the wrongful invitation, whether subtle or overt, to ask everyone to assimilate into one culture. But God in his grand design did not make us all the same color or speak the same language or be of the same tribe or nationality. And we know this to be true. And Revelation, tell, Revelation 7 tells us that in heaven, where we're heading, we will be worshiping alongside each other. Worshiping alongside different tribes, different languages, different nations. And what a beautiful picture this is. So we ask ourselves, so is this just a beautiful description or why does it matter to think ahead towards eternity? And two reasons here, we're going to focus on the second one, but the first one is simply that it gives us something to look forward to. When we read in Revelation and we read those passages that we are looking ahead to a place where there will be no more death, brothers and sisters, those of you who have lost loved ones, either a child or a peer or someone older than you, a father or mother or grandmother or grandfather, you have felt the pain of death. And when we are mourning, when we are grieving that pain, may we look ahead to eternity knowing that we are heading towards a place where that will no longer be the reality. Amen? 
But the second part about this is why we look ahead, why we think towards heaven. It gives us direction as to what our time on earth should look like. And this is what I'm going to talk about here today. In the grand story of the Bible, the the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, where we were created in God's image and it was good, and then we had the fall, kind of the second stage of that in Genesis 3, where uh, sin entered into the world and it kind of tainted everything after. After that, and then redemption, which is, you know, the person and work of Jesus, where he lived the perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and then was raised from the dead. And then restoration, meaning that we got a whole new kingdom coming that we talk about so often, a kingdom that has begun and will be completed in heaven so often, we simply reduce this to just the middle two parts. Just that there is sin and that Jesus came to die to cover that sin. We forget that we were created in God's image, and we forget that we are being restored. And don't get me wrong, we are sinners in desperate need of grace, and Jesus willingly died on the cross for our sins. And in all of this story, we, you know, we, it's not that it's less than that, but I promise you, it's so much more. Fall in redemption, fall, the sin entering the world and Christ redeeming us is central to who we are as Christians, but we never stop remembering that we are sinners saved by grace through faith, but we are also called to lean in to the rest of the story. Because when redemption came, brothers and sisters, when Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead, he ushered in the new kingdom. Now, there's a slide that's going to pop on the screen that has a little bit of a chart here. And I know this feels a little bit more teaching than preaching, but I want you to understand this because it's crucial to how you read the New Testament and really the whole Bible. But when I talk about that, this age that is, you know, com- coming from the fall uh, to redemption being that first kind of vertical yellow line, the first coming of Christ, the outpouring of the Spirit, the resurrection of Christ, when that happened, that began the kingdom, Jesus ushering in the new kingdom. So now we live in this kind of that box in the middle that already not yet, meaning that Christ has ushered in the new kingdom. However, it has not come to completion. And as we know, sin still taints the world that we live in, both individually, our families, and corporately. And therefore, we, that, that second blue line, when Christ comes back, we are in between when Christ first came and then when Christ comes back again. Luke 11.2 says the kingdom will come. Mark 10 says we must receive this kingdom. John 18, and it says the kingdom is currently not of this world. Jesus' parables throughout the Gospels picture the kingdom as yeast in dough or a tree growing. In other words, the kingdom is slowly working towards its ultimate fulfillment, which will happen when Christ comes back. But that... Christ coming back in the fulfillment informs how we live in this already, not yet. The Lord's Prayer, which we say every single Sunday, uh, every single Sunday uh, during communion liturgy, goes like this. It says, this then is how you should pray. Jesus telling us, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors, this is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So that part in the middle, which is my emphasis with the, the caps and the bold, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we see this, brothers and sisters, 
we, are invi- we see an invitation to live on earth like we will live in heaven. We have to understand that we should be moving our lives towards this goal to reflect what is happening in heaven for all eternity on earth as it is in heaven. The best way that I can get my head around kind of what this means, kind of what it looks like, and there's limitations to this illustration like there are for all illustrations. But I remember back, you know, 100 years ago when Diane and I got engaged. Uh, we've now been married. It'll be, uh, we were married in 05, so this will be 17 years this summer. We got married when we were 13, uh, for those of you doing the math there. Um, but when we have uh, been married, uh, we got married right out of college, but we got engaged on February 21st, uh, 2005. Uh, and I, I remember uh, the, the night we were up on the Peace Center in Greenville, and I had the, the uh, it was cold night, and I had the ring in my pocket, and I led Diane up to this, we were on the top of this building that I found access to, and then I put the coat around her because she was cold, and then I couldn't figure out where the ring was because she had the coat and her ring. It was a whole mess, but I found the ring. I think she told me she never saw the ring, but I think she probably at least felt it in the, in the pocket. But we got engaged on February 21st, but then we didn't get married until July 16th. And so I don't know what that is, a little over four months or so. But in that engagement period, there were lots of things that happened to where we started to kind of move towards getting married. So in that time, there were things that happened where we started kind of planning ahead for where are we going to live once we get married. We started putting our bank accounts together, which that's, that's when you really start to sink in. Well, all your money is the same. Uh, you have conversations about, here's what I owe to you know, so-and-so. Uh, that's, that's, when, that's when stuff gets real. But you started, we started making steps towards this is our life as a married couple. We put the cars in both of our names. We started to think through, you know, where are we going to live and kind of what would it look like for, you know, other married couples, uh, you know, engaged couples or signing a lease or buying a house, whatever it is before you get married. However, there are also plenty of things that do not come to completion or fulfillment until we get married. And so we understand that that engagement is kind of an already but not yet time period. And when we give premarital counseling, we tell people over and over again, it may feel like you're married right now or you have promised to be with each other for the rest of your life. But when you stand before your friends and family in the Lord, something changes. And it's not just that you are, you know, now have, you know, you're now, you know, you signed a piece of paper, or a marriage license, but something is significant changes in that moment. And that's in the season that we are in now, we are saying yes, but not yet. But may we understand where we're heading, may it inform where we are now. One of my favorite authors on the multi-ethnic church is a guy named Derwin Gray. He's a uh, he pastors a big old church in North Carolina, um, but he has just, he's written a ton about this, and I love his, his posture that he has. But he says in one of his newer books, he says, Local churches are to be a mouth-watering foretaste of the, full, of the full course meal to come. According to God, the eternal church will be, multi-ethnic, be a multi-ethnic church of love, reconciliation, unity, and celebration of Jesus. So we are called to join Jesus to make that a reality today. Our individual salvation is to point to a greater, more beautiful story. It's the story of God's glory revealed in his multi-ethnic church and unified in his eternal son, the Lord Jesus. And so in a few weeks, we're going to switch the colors from white to red and we'll celebrate Pentecost Sunday. 
And just to give you a little preview for that, when the church began, it was people from all different cultures and languages coming together to praise the Lord, as we see in the beginning of Acts. And what's fascinating is in that moment, at the beginning of Acts, is that God, who could have performed whatever miracle he wanted to, easily could have had all these different people coming from different languages to say the same, to speak the same language. Instead, what did he decide to do? He had instead decided to have all these people praising Jesus in their own languages and allowing everyone to understand each other's languages. In that simple miracle, he's affirming that there are different languages and different tribes, but the unity of worship together. And really, there was no necessary reason for this other than to tell the wonders of God in home language. And as the kids would say, God was almost kind of being extra in how he was doing this miracle, except that it wasn't extra if diversity had value in God's eye and and in God's plan. So what does this look like for us to pursue? I'll say there's two things. First and foremost, how do we do this? We see in the scripture, being a Bible-informed people, we see the, the, the call for us to be hospitable towards one another. The best kind of illustrations from the New Testament are examples of this are the Jews and Gentiles. And when, when the Gentiles became Christians, those are just non-Jewish people, fancy name for non-Jewish people. When Jews and Gentiles were both calling on the name of Christ and became Christians in the early church, they were so different culturally. But now they're called to be one church together. And they had to make room for each other. Whether it was circumcision or eating habits or other convictions that were kind of bound up in their own culture, Paul instructed the early church to make room within the bounds of orthodoxy without diminishing the gospel of Jesus Christ, but be willing to make room for each other's cultures. So therefore, looking at that, our call at Redeemer, really at any church, is to make room for people from cultures other than our own. When people walk in the doors here at Redeemer, are we welcoming, loving, valuing them? And are they feeling cared for as they bring their full selves into the church? And understanding that racial unity in our context, like we need to understand that this in our context, America in 2022, the cultural moment we're in is particularly important. I mean, I don't have to have the gift of prophecy to name that unity and love across racial lines is not necessarily what we're known for as a country over the last 5, 10, 100, 400 years. And when you think about it, this hospitality is not just making room for each other. It's also trying our best to understand the cultures around us so that we can love each other well. And you can hit the next slide. I don't think I put a note in there, Betty. You hit the next slide. And if you go to, the, go to a doctor, and the, if you walked into a room, and this uh, doctor, this woman was there, and she came in, you had a problem. I'm not even going to give an example uh, to, to distract us here. But say you have some sort of internal problem, and you come to the doctor. If you're like me, you've you know, been told to go see the doctor. And about the 78th time, you said, maybe I should go see the doctor. You go see the doctor. This woman walks into the room. This doctor walks into the room. She being a good doctor, what is she going to do? 
Is she just going to look at you and say, mm, I think you need this medicine. Mm, I think you need to go do this to fix yourself. What she's going to do is she's going to ask a ton of questions. She's going to try to get an accurate history, both of you and your family, so that she can make an accurate diagnosis, so she can give you an accurate plan of care to fix your problem. And though the step of getting that accurate history is tedious, we've all filled out those forms that are like, do you have, you know, does your family have this? Does your family have that? takes a long time and can sometimes be painful. Every doctor who is a good doctor is not only willing to get the history done, but will insist it's done accurately. And this is our job as well. We have to be willing to try to understand and care deeply about the history of why racial unity is hard, sometimes hard in our context. And let me say, this is neither easy or simple. Because whether we want to admit it or not, not all of any given group of people, fill in the blank, if this is uh, Asian, if this is Hispanic, if this is uh, Indian, if this is uh, white or black, thinks about the issues the same way. This is an unbelievably complex time we live in, and my staff, the staff at church is so tired of me hearing the word, hearing me tell the word nuance over and over again. But that is with the, the moment we live in requires us to have nuance and thoughtfulness for how we pursue the church. A group of people are not a monolith, whether that's black, white, Hispanic, Asian, fill in the blank. This require this conversation requires a ton of grace and humility on all parties for us to move forward in love. Amen? And lastly, what I'll say here is that how do we pursue this? What we see from this passage in Revelation 7 is that the key is to keep talking about Jesus. John 17, the high priestly prayer, that we would all be one just as the Father, just as you are, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so the world may believe that you have sent me. We see Christ's heart for unity. And we see in the picture, we see in the passage here is the, the people of God from all different tribes, nations, languages coming together. And they're not just sitting there talking about how great it is that they're all in the same room together. What is unifying them is the finished work of cross in their standing before God because they are washed in the blood of Jesus. It doesn't mean that our ethnic background, or ethnicity, background, culture, or even language will be taken away. Remember, it's unity, not uniformity. However, it does mean that first and foremost, our identity is found in Jesus. We don't find our value in, or our, our ultimate value in our ethnicity, but rather in Christ. And this unity, like I said, is not uniformity, but is found in that common denominator. What are these people doing? They are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night. For the Lamb is at the center of the throne and will be their shepherd. He leads them to springs of living water. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches which represented victory in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice. Who are these people and where do they come from? Sir, you know, in verse 14, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and sits 
into the Lamb. They, these are they who can't come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's us, church. That's where we're headed. Nicole, you can come on up as we prepare for communion. As you come forward in a few moments, you'll take communion, the Eucharist meal. And when we do this, there's so, this is the central part of the service here at Redeemer. When we take communion together, and when I thought about this passage, when we think about communion, when we take communion as a family together, what a picture, what a foretaste of heaven. When you come to this meal, you're going to bring your whole self down that aisle. You're going to bring, whether your ethnicity is from Ghana, whether you're from Mexico or Iowa or Nigeria or Brooklyn, you're going to take the same cracker and dip it in the same juice, which, the same body, which represent the same body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we do this, you may have noticed we've kind of shifted a little bit in how we do communion the last few weeks. A is for during Easter, we say uh, this is the bread of heaven and the cup of salvation. But also, we will say your name when you take communion. And that's not just because we're super friendly people here at Redeemer. It's so that you can understand that when we are giving you communion, we're giving it to you. And we want you to slow down for that second and be able to receive this, not just kind of taking the cracker, eat it, and head back to your seat, but let it sink in that Christ died and rose again for you. And you're bringing your whole self into the kingdom to be made into a new creation, but you don't lose your culture along the way. If we don't know your name, be ready because we're going to ask you for it. And then we're going to repeat it back to you. And it may take us a little longer than it used to, but that is also totally okay. In Revelation 7, the people of these tribes and languages may have had, come from different languages, different nations, different cultures, but like us, they certainly served the same God because they were washed clean with the same blood of the Lamb. And Redeemer made this statement, which is true of them in Revelation 7, be true for us at Redeemer today, tomorrow, and for the rest of our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the picture of where we're heading. And Father, where we fall short of living out our call to love the entire body of church, the body of Christ well, convict us of sin. And may may we as a church community, as individuals, as families, as a body, move closer and closer toward heaven on earth as it is in heaven. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.